Hey, this is Brian Golden. I am the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast and thank you for taking the time to listen. And I just want to let you know if you are in the greater Tampa Bay area, we would love to have you join us at one of our gatherings. And here's the thing about Centerpoint. Our vision is really simple. We want to be an alternative to church as usual for all people. And that just means we want this to be a safe place that welcomes everybody, doesn't matter what your background is or really where you're at on your faith journey. And so if you want any more information about our gatherings, go to our website at centerpointfl.org. And then most importantly, whether you're a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just in that place of investigating faith, I really hope today's message encourages you and really helps you to find life and freedom in Jesus. Uh, Here's the reality. All of us, whether it's you or me or your family, your friends, your neighbors, we all have hopes, dreams, desires for our lives, and we could accomplish some really incredible things. But we also can sabotage all of our success, all of our future, if we don't deal with the internal emotions that can wage war in all of us. So next week, Brian, our lead pastor, is going to be starting this series to talk about, uh, yeah, your internal emotions, but also about how Jesus has come to give give us freedom. And really, we want to talk about that for a few weeks, because we don't want you to sabotage your life and become your own worst enemy. We all want to live in the freedom that Jesus has for us. So make sure you come back next week. Also, invite someone to come watch with you. It only takes, you know, I'd say 10 seconds, maybe. Write down a text, send someone, share something on social media to invite people to come and just check it out, because no Nobody wants to be their worst enemy, and that's true of all your friends, so I invite them to join us next week online. That's going to be incredible. Uh, So starting a new series next week means that we're finishing a series this week, today. Uh, Actually, the last few weeks, five weeks, actually, uh, we've been talking through this this series of Wish You Were Here, uh, and just recognizing we all have areas in life that we wish we were somewhere else, somewhere different. Maybe it's a job, you wish you had a different job. Maybe it's a different house. Maybe it's a different area in the country. Maybe it's relationships. And, and, or you look at the life you wish you had and see way out there, like, man, I wish I was way out there. But, but here's the reality for, for a lot of us, it's not necessary that we can't get there because we don't have enough desire for it. Because almost all of us, we really desire to be there, but, but if we're, if we're honest about this, most of the time, I think it's more not a lack of desire, but a lack of direction. Like we don't know how to get to the life we want to have. I mean, how many of us, like we don't follow instructions on things. We don't follow uh, directions when you're building something, putting something together. That happens in our house where we'll put toys together for our kids and we don't follow the instructions exactly. And then they don't work properly. And we're like, man, how come this doesn't work? Like, cause you didn't follow the direction, right? So some of us, like we have so much desire, but we don't have the direction. And this is the thing, where you want to get to, that's easy. Having the idea of where, like even right now in your mind's eye, you can envision where you wish you would be or could be in life. But really like how is the hard part? How is where it's difficult for us? But, but here's the reality for all of us, somebody knows a secret to get to life that you wish you had. Like somebody has been there before. Someone has already achieved what you want to achieve. Someone already has the relationships, the type of relationship you want to have. They already have that. Like what is a secret to some of us is not a secret to all of us. So what we need to do is we just need to find those people and ask them. And that's kind of the whole thing kind of out out the gate today. Like that's the whole point of this talk today. And no matter what you believe about Jesus, no matter if you're wrestling with things you read in scripture or, or things that you know that are personal about you, that how, how is God and how are we like connected? I don't really understand that. No matter where you're at with your faith journey, 
All of us can learn from this because this is about, it's about wisdom and it's about learning from other people around us. And we're gonna look at scripture to teach us this and to see a story about that. But, but I just wanna let you know, if you forget anything else that I say today or anything else at all from this series, just, just remember this one thing, is that there are people that know the secret to getting the life that you wanna have. And, and wise people will ask them, now, here's the deal. Smart people, this is a boss, one of my guys I worked for back in high school, he would say this, smart people learn from their experience. Like, if you're smart and you do something stupid, which all of us do that, you learn from that. But smart people learn from their experience, but wise people learn from the experience of others. And for all of us, I think we'd rather be wise. Like, if I see you mess up something, if I see you break something, if I see you destroy something, I don't have to experience or do the exact same thing you did. I can just look at your experience and go, man, I'm staying away from that. So we want to be wise, but we have to ask people and actually listen to them to learn from their experience. So there's actually a story in, uh, in the scriptures. It's about ancient Israel and, and a little bit of background with the story is, is, see, Israel came out from Egypt and you can, you can actually look up a lot of this stuff and you can actually find historical, secular historical accounts of, of all these things that are happening. So I'd even encourage you to go check those things out because it's not just because the Bible has it in it, but actually you can find from history, this really happened. Israel is a slave nation in Egypt. They come out of Egypt and they finally get established in what the scriptures call the promised land, right? Like this area that God said, hey, I'm gonna put this apart for you and I'll be your God, I'll also be your king. But then Israel wanted their own king and they said, God, like we, you know, we're great with you being the God, we'll worship you like that, but we really want someone like flesh and bone right here, right now. Like your presence isn't enough in the temple. We want to have a person on a throne to rule over us, which honestly, like, that sounds crazy, doesn't it? Like how many of us are like signing up to have someone rule over us? And so Israel picks this guy, Saul, because he's the tallest guy and he's great looking, which that's what we do, right? Like we're like, you're tall, you're good looking, you can lead something, doesn't matter about your character, doesn't matter about you. Like outside you look great, but inside he wasn't that great. And so he's king of Israel for a season. And then you probably heard of David, like David and Goliath. Even if you're like, man, I, like, I, I don't know anything about the Bible. You've heard, if you watch March Madness, you've heard about the David and Goliath game, right? Like the, the small team, sorry to rub it in, we didn't have March Madness this year. I guess we just had a different kind of madness, right? But, but here's the deal, like you have David and Goliath all over the place, we talk about that. Like David was actually a person who lived. And he was king of Israel for a time. And, and David's son Solomon then became king. And these are like the golden years of Israel. Everything is great. Like, like the buildings keep on getting bigger and larger and the income keeps getting bigger and larger. And everything's like, man, this is happening for the king and the kingdom. Like they're powerful, they're influential, they're extremely wealthy. And then Solomon gets later in his life. And that's kind of the story we're picking up right here. See, as Solomon lived his life, he acquired a few wives uh, scriptures actually say this dude has 700 wives, which I'm like, I don't even understand how you, I, I wouldn't remember 700 wives' names, right? But he has all these wives and in his old age, he starts to tax the people even heavier and he starts to force people into labor so that they, they work to build, to produce and to have enough to provide for his 700 wives. Can you all imagine paying child support for 700 people? Like, that's just crazy. Like, that's why he's taxing. Good thing he was a king. So Solomon, in his old age, becomes the kind of king that nobody really wants to have, including God. And God actually goes in and he talks to one of his prophets, his spokespeople, and says, hey, like, we're going to take the kingdom away from Solomon's family because they've walked away from me. 
and he's going to abuse and hurt people. And I don't want to have that happening. So we're going to give the kingdom to somebody else. But basically nobody knows that. And that's kind of where this story picks up. And what I'd say is, is sometimes we read the Old Testament scriptures, like the, the older books, and it can seem boring. I tell you, go read First and Second Kings, go read First and Second Chronicles, or go read Judges, because if you are into like Game of Thrones or anything like that, like this reads like that. Like there's battles and there's war and there's, I mean, all sorts of stuff. Don't read it with your kids necessarily if they're young, but check it out, read it for yourself. So this is where we get to, we jump in this story, and this is Rehoboam, this is Solomon's son stepping in to become king. Now, this is the life Rehoboam just dreamed of. This is the where he wished that he could be for years and years. Like, I can't wait to be king. I can't wait to be king. I can't wait to be king. And he finally gets there. And this is what happens in 1 Kings chapter 12. It says, Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone there to make him king. Then Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard this. See, he was still in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon. We'll talk about that in just a second. So Jeroboam came and returned from Egypt. So they, this is all the people, they sent Jeroboam and he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam. Their names were really similar, but they're not twins, I promise. Jeroboam says to Rehoboam, your father put this heavy yoke on us, this heavy burden on us, this this forced labor. Now, if you lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke, that he put on us, we will serve you. Like basically, like, hey, let's make a deal. Like your dad got kind of crazy in his old age. He was taking advantage of everybody. He was forcing everybody to do exactly what he could do as the king. And we, we don't want that. So if you lighten that load, we'll serve you. Now, now just a little bit of background on, on Jeroboam. Jeroboam was actually... Um, an official of Solomon. He was working and he was a young guy hustling and grinding and Solomon saw that and said, hey, I want to make you over all of the working force, all, all the working force. So this dude is like a high ranking official. He has incredible influence. The people know him. He knows the people. And actually this kind of situation in my mind, I think through, this is like almost like a, like a union boss coming in to the king to negotiate a new union deal, basically. Like, hey, I know all these people. They're all behind me. Hey, we will serve you if you lighten the load. So Rehoboam says, man, I got to think about this. And, and this is what he does. He says, go away for three days and then come back to me. So the people all went away. And he buys himself some time. He's really smart. And then the king, Rehoboam, consulted the elders who served with his father Solomon during his lifetime. He asked them, how would you advise me to answer these people? And they said to him, if today, if today you will serve the people, if you'll be the servant of these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer they will always be your servants. As we see, like, Rehoboam is really smart in this moment because he's going to get counsel from people who've been there, done that. They've watched his dad make great decisions as the king. They've watched his dad make horrible decisions as a king. They've had an opinion on probably everything that he did because if you're leading with other leaders, you always have an opinion on how they're leading, right? And he's this young king and young as in like, he's like in his 40s when he becomes king. And he goes to these elders and says, hey guys, like, what would you have me to say to them? And, and they give him advice, which is really great advice. Like you show mercy and compassion today, you get loyalty tomorrow. And this is the advice that he needed to hear, but it's not what he wanted to hear. Like this is how he could get what he wanted, right? This is how the where that he wanted to be. This is how he could get to being there, but it's not the way that he wanted to get there. So I think he wanted these things like loyalty and respect and influence and power. He wanted all those things, but they're saying, this is the way to get it. And he says, mm, I think I'd rather take a shortcut. 
So he goes from the elders, these wise men who have who've led for years and years and years, these people who probably saw him grow up, have taught him a bunch of things, and he leaves these wise people, and he goes and does what so many of us do. He goes to all his friends. And these are all experts, right? And he goes to his friends, and he asks them. So he, he goes, and he, he rejects the advice of the elders. Then he goes and consults the young men who'd grown up with him and were serving him. And he asks them, what's your advice? And he kind of lays out, this is what they're, they're telling me to do. And the young men who had grown up with him said, these people have said to you, you know, that your father's yoke is heavy and all this is bad and they're working us too hard. Now tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. Father, my father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. Now, for us, that doesn't really make any sense because we're like, your finger and the waist, of course it is, and the whips. and the, like, like Basically, they're just saying, you thought my dad was a bad man. I am a bad man. You thought my dad was a tough ruler. I am a tough ruler. And this is where we see where Rehoboam went from being wise to being stupid. And he goes to his friends and he, he confirms what he wants to hear. And he surrounded himself with his friends and people who are just going to say yes and just tell him exactly what he wants to hear because they know how to keep a spot with him. So they just kind of speak into him and help him go, yeah, yeah, dude, you just do this. And, then, and he wants to take a shortcut from achieving what he really wants. Now, shortcuts are not wrong. Shortcuts aren't bad. We all use shortcuts. If you use your smartphone for anything, you use a shortcut. Right, like you Google search something, you use a shortcut. You didn't do all that research yourself. You call someone, that's a shortcut. You didn't go to their house, right? If you got in your car, that's probably a shortcut because really you should just walk to their house. Like shortcuts aren't a problem. But shortcuts can be a problem when they shortcut us out of the character that God would have to build in us. See, because a lot of times a person that we wish we were requires a level of character that we cannot obtain if we just take shortcuts. And the things that you are wishing for the things that I wish for, they're worth working for and they are worth waiting for. If it's worth wishing for, they are worth working for and waiting for. So then he listens to his friends. They tell him all things. And this is the reality too, is your friends have a gravitational pull on you and your decisions and by default, your character. Like who you surround yourself with is who you will become. See, Solomon, Rehoboam's dad, he was, at one point, people would argue the wisest man in all the world, right? And he wrote down all these Proverbs in Scripture that we hold as, as divine, as Scripture. But also, there are Proverbs that he wrote down. There's also other Proverbs outside of Scripture that they're just true, right? Like, like, like an old Chinese proverb says, when checking the depth of a lake, don't jump in with both feet. Like you put your toe in the water, you don't jump in both feet because you don't know how deep it is, right? That's just true. And these are truths that Solomon, uh, Rehoboam's father wrote down. One of these I think is so, so important for right here that Rehoboam just completely missed on this. He says, when you walk with the wise, you become wise. But a, pan a companion of fools suffers harm. When you walk with the wise, you become wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Now, this is the thing. This is not an equal comparison because it should say if you walk with the wise, you become wise. And if you're a friend of fools, you become foolish. But that's not what it says. It says if you're a companion of fools, you'll suffer harm. Because you could argue being a friend of fools is already a foolish thing to do. So then Rehoboam listens to his friends and they go back and say, all right, we're going to get back with the people. And the people come back and Jeroboam comes back. And all the people return, and the king says, come back in three days. And the, then he answers the people harshly. 
He could have served them in a moment and won their loyalty over for decades and decades and decades. But instead, he answers harshly rejecting the advice given to him by the elders. And he followed the advice of the stupid young men. Sorry, that's in the original language. It's not in the Bible right here. No, I'm just kidding. He says, my father made your yoke heavy. I will make it even heavier. My father scored you with whips, so I will scourge you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people. For this turn of events was from the Lord. To fulfill the word the Lord has spoken to Jeroboam, son of Nebat, through Elijah the Shilonite. Now, that doesn't make any sense to us because we jumped into chapter 12. But if you actually go back a few chapters, you read this story about how Jeroboam is walking on a journey. And this, this prophet, God's spokesperson, comes up and sees him in, in the, on the, the walk on his journey and actually takes off his new robe that he's wearing and says, hey, rip this into 12 pieces. It's kind of strange. And God had prophet people, like they did all sorts of crazy things. Like again, you read through what happened in first, second Kings and first and second Chronicles, like some of it, it just makes you scratch your head, but God is using simple things to, to share profound truths. So he said, hey, take this robe and rip it into 12 pieces and you rip it into 12 pieces. And these 12 pieces are signifying or symbols of the 12 tribes of Egypt, you or 12 tribes of Israel. You take 10 of them and I will take two. And God is gonna do that same thing to Solomon's family. He's gonna rip 10 tribes away from Solomon's family because they have walked away from God. He's going to give them to you. Now, here's the crazy thing. Jeroboam comes into this meeting and says, hey, at first, three days ago, I said, hey, if you serve the people, we will serve you. He's not trying to rip anything away from anybody. He's trying to serve. He, he's trying to just submit and do what he needs to do with the king. And the king is an idiot, if we're honest. He's trying to prove something, but, but here's the reality. You don't have to prove what you know you are. This guy's a fake. And he is trying to accomplish so much in life. He's trying to get to a place in life that his character has not built him up to be. My question for some of us is, is it possible we are not where we wish we were in life because we don't have the character to be where we wish we were? Like all of us have that, Right? Like, you're really unhappy being single, but you're not anybody that anyone would want to date. Like I'm not trying to be harsh or rude to you. I'm just saying, like, like maybe you need to work on you some and work on your, your individual identity and work on your relationship with Jesus if you're a follower of Jesus in order to then maybe be attractive to someone that you would want to be attracted to. See, Rehoboam, he shortcuts the whole thing. and He's trying to get what... He wishes he had, but he's going about the completely wrong way. I think there's two things that we even learn from, from this story that I want to I help us think through. And then and we're going to apply the whole series. The past five weeks, we're going to put it all into one really simple thing that you can do. But here, here's the first thing that I think we can learn from this story is that only doing what you want to do will not get you to where you want to be. Only doing what you want to do will not get you to where you want to be. Like, like maybe it's that you don't want to do hard things. That when anything gets difficult, anything gets commitment level, anything gets too much, you're just, I'm just going to back out, I'm just going to back out, I'm just going to back out. And you won't work through the difficult things to get to where you want to be. Again, if it's worth wishing for, it's worth working for. And it's worth waiting for. Or maybe you, you, you say, man, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead something, I'm in charge of something, and doing what only you want to do means that you get to make all the shots and call all the things, and, and you get to decide all the things for everybody. And this is exactly what Rehoboam did. He did exactly what his authority allowed him to do, which is whatever he wanted to do. 
Here's the thing, though. If you are only doing what you want to do all the time, you're going to find yourself alone having the life you wish that you had, realizing everything you really desire is outside of you right now. And you say, man, I would change all this stuff to get some of those things back, some of those relationships back, some of those opportunities back. And when you only do what you want to do, you will not get to where you want to be. The second thing, and this is really simple, is that someone knows the secret to get to where you want to be. Like somebody knows the secret to get to where you want to be. All you have to do is ask and listen to them. Like if you want to be an incredible father, an incredible husband, an incredible wife, an incredible mother, like you could probably find someone that is that incredible person. You go, man, I wish I could be there. You just need to find them. You want to be an incredible business leader? You just go find some business leaders. You get into some, some breakfasts or lunch or groups or the chamber of commerce, something where you're, hey, I'm going to find a way to get around these people. You want to be really good at an instrument. You go and you find someone who's really good at an instrument. Like it's not hard to do, but it's hard to do, right? I should say it's not hard to understand, but it's hard to do. See, mature people, they go and they find people who will tell them the truth. Immature people will go find people that tell them what they want to hear. And with these people, when you're trying to find someone that has a secret, they're not going to tell you what you want to hear all the time. They're going to tell you things that are difficult to hear, but you trust them because they have what you wish you had. But also you learn to trust them because they love you. And they're not attacking you. They're just attacking maybe the way you're trying to go about things. Even here with this story, like the elders were not attacking Rehoboam and saying, hey man, you are weak. Hey, you can't lead this way. Hey, you're never measured up to anything. He never, they didn't say any of that. They just said, hey, to be wise, you serve them today. They'll serve you forever. And this is where a lot of us, we have to step back and we have to find people that we want to be like and not just the people that like us. And this is for me, I've been, I mean, I've been blessed throughout my life. I've had people surrounding me. Even I remember back to when I was in middle school and high school, my dad would take us out to breakfast with some guys, uh, guys his age, guys my grandfather's age, and just to sit down and talk with them. And, and there were no boys at the table, right? They didn't expect anything ridiculous from us, but like, hey, you're not gonna be a punk and disrespectful at this table while we're eating breakfast together. You're gonna learn how to interact with people your father's age and your grandfather's age and learn from them. And just being around guys like Patrick and Bill and Bob and Gary, all these guys, I just sat around them and just learned from them about some, honestly, learned some things I didn't like Learn some things I did like. Then I also have even friends in my life right now, like Jeff, uh, who, who is a pastor at a larger church and has the same role as me, but a larger church. So I just connected with him and say, hey, like, I want to be where you are later in life. So I need to sit down and talk with you or my friend Christian or Rex or Chris or Brian or, or whoever, or, or people that I know, but also people that are far from me, like, like Dave Ramsey, right? Like his financial principles. Like, oh, man, I want to live by your financial principles. Craig Groeschel is pastor, is incredible leader. Oh man, I want to learn how to lead like you lead. Like I'm going to be influenced by you from afar, but also I'm going to have some people that are close to me that can see me and sit down with me and I can ask questions and we can interact. So this is what you need to do. You need to find people that have the secret to the life you wish you had. And then you need to get on your knees and beg them to have coffee with you or have lunch with you or Zoom with you. And a lot of these people, you won't have to beg them. You might need to be persistent, but you just show up and you have a question or two and you just ask them a question and then you shut up. 
And you just let them talk. Even, even in our family right now, Rachel and I, we have a couple, Rex and Cheryl, who we love. And this is so incredible. Uh, like our community group, there's, I don't know, there's like 14 or 13 adults in the group. And there's like 13,000 children in the group because we all just keep making babies all the time. Uh, and it's incredible. It's lots of fun. It's crazy at our house when we have our group. Um, but uh, we would sit down and all of us are talking. We have Rex and Cheryl, who are probably the age of most of our parents, and they just sit there and we just talk and we just share life and talk through things. But then every once in a while, it's not even every week, but every once in a while, we'll just ask them a question. And then all the young couples just kind of sit there and wait for the wisdom. And Rex, it's so funny because they're like, we don't have all this wisdom. We don't like, we're not dropping on. Like we're just like real life people, which that's the people you want to find. Because you can admire someone from afar that has horrible character, but they can perform well. But when you get close to people and you understand who they are and the character they have, you go, that's who I really want to be. Even like this last week, Rachel and I just text them, hey, we're having this thing with our family, which is like, it's a normal thing when you have a six-year-old and a four-year-old and a two-year-old. But like for us, we've never had a six-year-old and a four-year-old and a two-year-old before. Like we're, we're new at this whole thing. Like every year of parenting, we're just brand new at. We don't know how to do these things. And they've been there, they've done that. They got the kids to show it for it, Right. So we just text them, we just ask them, and this is really, for some of us, we just need to slow down in our life enough and stop trying to find people that like us and just find people we want to be like. And then just ask them a question. And if you're wondering, how do I find these people? Just go to where the people you wish you were are. If you want to be really good at fitness and have a really healthy body, go to the places where healthy people are. If you want to be an incredible musician, go to the place that incredible musicians are. If you want to go and be a great parent, go to the place where you will find great parents. If you want to be a spiritual person, go to the place where spiritual people are. And then just look around and watch for a while. We're not meant to live in isolation. We're meant to live in a community of people, but also having the elders influencing the younger generation. Because that will help us. Because we don't have to learn from our own mistakes or our own experiences. We can learn from their experiences. And then when you find these people, you go and you sit down with them and you just ask this really simple question and say, knowing what you know now, what would you do if you were in my shoes? Maybe you're, you just graduated, which congratulations. I know Bloomingdale High School, you guys just had a graduation ceremony this past weekend, which congratulations to all the graduating seniors. And right now you're in a, a, a pivotal place in life. You're like, what do I do next? What do I do? Uh, maybe you go find somebody who's in their 30s or their 40s or their 50s or their 60s, not someone who's 21. Find someone who's walked through a little bit of life and ask, hey, knowing what you know now, what would you do if you were in my shoes regarding college, regarding career? And, and these people, they never will replace parents. Right, you still need your parents. You still need to talk to your parents. Your parents need to be very involved with your life. I think that's a very sign, a sign of a very healthy uh, relationship. But it's also really helpful to have people who don't have the history that you have with your parents and don't have the responsibility you have with your parents and, and just to give you advice and just say, hey, what would you do if you're in my shoes? If, if you're someone who says, man, I'm, I'm looking to get married. I wanna, I wanna have a spouse. Like maybe you go find someone that's married and you just say, what would you do? If you, if you, knew, what I, like, if you knew what you know and you were in my shoes, like what would you do? or maybe it's a financial decision or whatever, is you say, hey, what can I learn from this person? You ask them this question, you just be quiet. Now, now here, here's the thing for all of us though, we have to figure out where we wish we were. Like again, where is easy in a general sense of things where it's a big picture. I mean, I just, I wish I was just better. People who only wish to be better never actually get better. 
And to think of specifically, where do you wish you could be? And what I'd say is start with your identity. Like don't start with something like, man, I just wish I worked out more. Like that's a horrible place to wish you were. Start with the idea, I wish I was a healthy person. Don't start with, man, I wish I could have, I wish I could just live on a budget. Start with the place, man, I wish I was a financially independent person. Don't just, man, I just wish I read my Bible more. Like, no, say, I wish I was a spiritual person where I had the thoughts and heart of God on my thoughts and heart every day. So you start with identity because identity will drive your behavior and will drive your actions. It drives what you do. Because if I just kind of change my, my actions all the time, if I try to change everything around me without ever changing my identity, it won't stick. Have you ever realized that people who don't identify as runners never run? But the moment it switches in your brain and you say, no, I am a runner, you just do what runners do. No, I am a financially responsible person, so I live on a budget. I change my identity and that changes all the things that I do. And this is for all of us. You got to start with identity. And then your actions back that up. And this is the beautiful thing about what we believe about Jesus. What I believe about Jesus is that that scripture teaches that Jesus invites us into his family and he gives us his identity. So when you're feeling like everything's broken and and you've screwed up and you have fallen away and there's no way that God would ever want to look at you or ever want to consider you, and maybe for you, that's why you're so afraid to come to God. Can I just tell you, if you have faith in Jesus' death and resurrection, you have his identity. Scripture uses the terminology that you are clothed in Christ. So when God looks at you and looks at me, he does not see all the times that I screw up. He does not see all the the failures that I have. He sees his son's perfect identity. And we can walk in what scripture calls the newness of life. Where we don't have to be the failures. We don't have to be mistakes. We don't have to be the person that we wish we were not. We can take on his identity and And then as I take on Christ's identity, as I take on these other identities, then I can look and say, okay, what are two or three things that people like me do? Like, what do people do if they're a child of the ultimate God? Man, I worship him just because that's just what I do. Like, what do financially independent, responsible people do? They, they live on a budget. They, they manage their resources well. What do healthy people do? They exercise. They treat their body well. What do people who have healthy relationships do, man? They spend time with the people in those relationships. And this is the thing. The where you want to get to, that thing you have that you're wishing for, has so much more to do with your choices and my choices than chance. And getting to where you wish you were has more to do with your choices than chance. See, this is the thing that's crazy. Even if you go back to the story and you see Rehoboam and, and his choice to try to prove something with his dominance and his power led to him losing almost everything. And he couldn't see the danger ahead of him because of his pride, because it blinded him. And because I think he was still searching for some kind of identity, trying to figure out who he was. And while he went to the elders the first time and he was wise and talked to these people, he remembered like that's something his father said, but he forgot something his father said as well. This is one of the other Proverbs that his father Solomon wrote down. He said, the prudent, the safe, the cautious, the mindful, the careful people 
they see danger and they, they take refuge. But the simple keep on going and pay the penalty. I think some of us right now, you are wishing you were somewhere else, you were someone else, you had something else because you didn't see the danger of what was ahead. You just wanted what you wanted and you didn't think about the people around you. And here's the reality. I am dangerous when I'm only thinking about myself. And I can never get to be the person I wish I could be if I'm thinking and living for myself. But it says these mindful people, these cautious people, they see danger and they take refuge. This is something I love about the scriptures is it uses so much symbolism and so much terminology to define the complex things of God in really simple ways. And one of the ways it refers to God almost constantly through the Psalms, these musical writings from David and all these others is that God is our refuge. He's our shelter. He's a place to go when there are storms in life. He is the protector of us. And I think we could read this passage and say, wise people, cautious people, careful people, they see danger and they run for their life back to the refuge, which is the almighty God. And they sit down there with him and they say, God, I am in danger right now and I need to get out of this danger. And you're the only hope I have. It's the only thing that protect me. Can I tell you, that's what faith in Jesus is. When we talk about Jesus' death and resurrection, how you faith in him and, and trusting in him and, and on his goodness, not on your own, like you are running to him as your refuge. You're recognizing you're not good enough. You're not strong enough. You're not powerful enough. You're not smart enough. You're not wise enough. You're not anything enough. You need to go and hide in the refuge, which is God himself. The beautiful thing is it says that you'll be protected from the danger ahead. Now here's the the reality for all of us. We can run to the refuge of God and that does not excuse or remove all the consequences of our decisions, right? There are things that both of us, that we've we've done and we feel like, man, I, I can never get over that. I can't fix that. And to be honest, like sometimes you can't fix it. And sometimes the consequence is just the consequence and it sucks and it's difficult and you wish it could be different, but it's not. But you still get Jesus. You still have the refuge. And as you sit with him, as you learn from him, he's gonna protect you. And he's gonna show you the best way to live. And that's what I think if, if we're honest, if it boils down to anything else in this whole series, the where we wish we could be, we just wanna have the best life we can. However that looks for you, whatever your value system is, however that is, like you wanna have your best life possible. And this is the truth of scripture is Jesus wants you to have your best life possible too. But it might not always look the same way that you think it should look. I think there's things in my life where things have, have broken, things have been uh, just dis- dysfunctional, things have been hurtful, things, things have been traumatic. And there's things I'm like, I wish it could be different, but for whatever reason, it is not different. And when I go and I sit in the refuge that is God, he shows me the best way to live. And he shows me even how my hurts and my mistakes and my hurtful decisions, all this, he shows me how even those things can be redeemed, can be bought back because I have the identity of his son. I think there's some of you right now, you're 
you're thinking through this and you're saying, man, I, I feel like right now I wish I was somewhere different because I walked into a dangerous situation. I didn't see the danger that was ahead. Can I invite you to the refuge that is God to come and sit with him? And this is the thing I love about Jesus. And you look through the scriptures about Jesus. He's never in a hurry anywhere. He's never too busy for anybody. He always has time just to sit and talk and love people. And that's what we wanna be as a church. We wanna be a place that people can come and sit and learn and love and be loved. And that's why we push community groups and that's why we push serving. That's why we, we try to get you guys to do things and we do things ourselves, right? Because Jesus has shown us this is the best way to live. So if you're here today and you're saying, man, I want to be in the refuge that is God. This is what the scriptures would teach is that, that you are not good enough. You are not strong enough. You're not powerful enough, but Jesus is. That's why we run to him for refuge. And through his death and resurrection, we can have life to the fullest starting now. We have the life we always wish we would have, which isn't all the stuff around us, if we're honest. It's, it's having wholeness in our soul. I wanna pray with you. I wanna pray for you. And this is what I'd say, if you are there and you say, I wanna have that refuge. I wanna be part of like being in God's right. I want to be saved. I want Jesus, like whatever, however you term it. I'd say, would you just text us? Would you talk to someone? Would you comment in our, our live stream to any one of our number of, of service hosts that we have online just to connect with them and say, hey man, I want this and I want to begin walking in this life that Jesus has promised for me. Knowing it might not be everything I wish it would be, but it will be everything I wish it will be because my perspective changes. Would you pray with me no matter where you're at? You can bow your head. You can close your eyes right now. Let's just pray to God. And, and God, I thank you for working in so many people's lives. God, I thank you, God, for being my refuge. God, for being the refuge of, of countless people in our gathering. God, for being willing to protect us from all that life can throw at us. God, we talked about people having the secret to get in the life we wish we had. God, we understand and I believe that you have the secrets to get into the life that I wish I had. God, for people right now wanting to, to come to you, wanting to place their faith in you, God, thank you for the work you're doing in their hearts, God, in their lives. I pray they would have, oh God, just peace overflowing. God, also they would have, have wisdom to continue walking the way you would have them to walk. God, they would not walk from you, but they would come and, and continually hide themselves in your refuge. God, thank you for what you're doing. God, I pray that we could be a place that even right now we're not meeting on site. That's okay. We can still be a place. We can still be a gathering. We can still be a movement that is safe for people, that is kind for people. God, that is a place to protect them from so many things around them and to really point them to you. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your power. Thank you for your grace. We love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? 
first, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family, maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.